Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, June 26th, 2019. On today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writer Swai Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. HT, is your computer fixed yet? It's not. I'm still on my iPad, so I apologize for any... Uh, awkward sound issues. <laughs> what's the um, What's the latest? What's the update? What, is it looking good? I think so. I'm getting. I'm going to pick it up today, so hopefully it'll be fixed. Awesome. We'll see. Awesome. All right. Well, let's jump right into the news, guys. Um, first up, Danny Boyle, the director of the new movie Yesterday, is doing press for that film. So naturally, people are asking him a bunch of questions about other projects that he's been involved with and will be involved with. Uh, HT, you mentioned on the podcast yesterday, on the, the Water Cooler episode, that you were not a big fan of yesterday. But uh, you've written two articles about Danny Boyle's upcoming projects, the first of which is that he has confirmed that a third 28 Days Later movie is in the works. What's going on with that one? Yeah, Danny Boyle appears to have caught sequel fever um, following his... Uh, sequel to Trainspotting T2, he, he seems to be on board with uh, revitalizing his uh, previous classic films. The first of which is 28 Days Later, which had a sequel 28 weeks later that he did not direct, but um, Danny Boyle said that he and Alex Garland have a wonderful idea for a third 28 day, Days Later movie, um, not yet titled, but something that he says is quote, properly good. The original film led to a bit of a resurgence in the zombie drama and doesn't reference any of that. It doesn't feel stale at all. Um, and he talked about how Alex Garland has this idea and that while he's concentrating on directing his own work at the moment, um, that they have um, started work, uh, working together on doing this sequel. And this actually comes a couple years after um, Garland originally spoke about an idea for 28 months later, back in 2015, uh, sort of a weird idea that popped into his head um, that he is uh, was working on a couple years ago, and now apparently is starting to kick back into gear. HJ, have you seen any of the 28 Day Days Later movies? 
I haven't. Yeah, me neither. So uh, let's turn to Chris and Jacob, who are the the horror guys on this podcast, and and people who I'm almost certain have seen at least one, if not both, of these movies. Um, Jacob, let's start with you. What do you think about the idea of a, a third film in this franchise? Uh, I think it's probably a little bit too late to be 28 months later. So the, the whole point here was that the first film, as it says, uh, is set a month after the events of this uh, apocalyptic virus breaks out. And the second one is set, you know, after things have calmed down a bit and things are trying to be, you know, uh, controlled by the British government where the film is set. And there's a big cliffhanger ending at the end of that one. And I feel like maybe they've missed the mark for 28 months later. However, 28 years later, I think, is where they need to go next thing. Just go full dystopian with it. Just go full <laughs> distant future. Things have gone to hell. And use the fact that it's been over a decade since the last one to their advantage. And I don't know about Chris. I think the first 20 days later is really good. I think it holds up extremely well. And it works because Danny Boyle is working on a low budget. And he's focusing on character and taking advantage of isolating locations and the second one has a much bigger budget and it's a much glossier film but i don't think it's as good so i would like to see like danny boyle grab that cheapo digital camera and grab some interesting actors and go make a low budget horror film again i think that's the way to go with this if they're gonna make it interesting but chris what do you think uh i don't know how interested i am in a new film but i do like the other i i even like the second one i think they're both pretty good um uh, the first one is good until the last like five minutes where I think it sort of like cops out on <laughs> because I'm pretty sure it had a different ending. And then uh, Danny Boyle added a, uh, a less downbeat one for, you know, general audiences. But beyond that, um, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely, <laughs> you know, the material is kind of, you know, simple enough that you could easily craft a new story onto this. I just don't know. If, if you know there's there's a demand for it anymore kind of like you said it just feels like it's too late at this point hmm. also i feel like the big hook there was that there weren't quite zombies they were infected humans who were sprinting about and like giving like actually having real foot chases with the survivors and i feel like enough zombie movies these days like world war z and the remake of dawn of the dead stole from 20 days later and stole that fast zombie thing that the thing that made it um so unique in 2003 is no longer special yeah, I could see how that could be a significant hurdle. Um, I mean, there's there's only so much zombie stuff you can do within that genre. And I know that people have probably been saying that for, you know, the past 15 years or whatever, and there's still been stuff coming out. But um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see how this turns out. But let's turn to a different Danny Boyle project, and that is uh, The Beach. H.T., Boyle says that a prequel is in development. What's going on with this? Yeah, a prequel TV series based on his 2000 film The Beach, which originally starred Leonardo DiCaprio and Tilda Swinton, is reportedly in the works. He said that um, Amy Simetz, who uh, was the actor, writer, director who um, oversaw the girlfriend experience, is currently working on the Beach prequel TV series, and it will be set in modern day, but it will still be a prequel following the same character and uh apparently the formation of the utopian community on the secluded island in um, the Thailand Gulf. So um, it will, It's a, he calls it um, a bit of a head fuck. So I don't really know if, if it means, if he's referring to the chronology of the series or um, whether he means the actual uh, content, but he is, um, he said that he read the first two scripts and he said that it's intriguing. Um, he doesn't know if they'll have the courage to do it at FX, but you never know. 
Hmm. So this is not just like uh, a nebulous idea, sort of like the, the you know, the, the previous project we talked about. There's actual hard copy scripts of this thing that are floating around. So this one seems like it's a, a little bit further along in the development process. So uh, I want to throw it out to you guys, too. Like The Beach, for me, that is um, it's a really stylish movie. It's a really sort of a trippy movie. It's not necessarily you know for for early dicaprio it's it was certainly an interesting choice like post titanic for him to take sort of like a hard turn into uh what is essentially now what we've come to recognize as like a a pure alex garland property like he he also wrote the book on which this was based and this seems like it has a lot of the same sort of um heady ideas that uh, garland would explore in some of his later works that he ended up directing but are you guys interested in returning to the beach even especially in a prequel form where it, it sort of shows the creation of that utopian society she was talking about um chris what do you think no, <laughs> this doesn't sound that good to me at all. I mean, I barely liked the movie to begin with, so this just sounds like I, I don't understand who this is for. Like, does the beach have brand name awareness? Like, like you know, usually when, when stuff like this happens, it's because people are cashing in on a really well-known title. And I really don't think people like sit around talking about the beach anymore i they barely talked about it when it came out so i don't i don't know who this is for yeah the only thing that i know of that people have been talking about in, in, in terms of this movie is the actual beach location where it was filmed and i think it's been like overrun by tourists and maybe even shut down or something recently so yeah uh, I will say I have actually um, I have not seen the beach but I have been to the beach where oh, this was filmed you? yeah I was in Thailand three years ago and um, we went to Kopipi which is where this um, uh, film was filmed and they have like a whole sort of tour specifically centered around the beach and uh, yeah it's uh, definitely been overrun it's kind of dirty and a little bit too touristy for um, an actual enjoyable beach experience but uh, it's interesting because it seems like the tour guys there know more about the beach than most casual viewers do oh, i'm sure um jacob what do you think about this concept uh, i have not seen the beach but i do know that fx made a show in its early days called son of the beach and i think they should connect these two find a movie or property or a tv show that finds a way for son of the beach and the beach to be connected that's my pitch <laughs> i thought you were joking for the first part of that they really made a show called son of the beach it was a Baywatch parody. Okay, all right. Uh, well, that makes more sense then. Okay, let's move on to our next topic, and that is uh, Ryan Murphy, who signed, recently signed a huge development deal with Netflix within the past, I don't know, year or so, uh, has a new movie coming to that streaming service. Chris, tell us about that film and its pretty stacked cast. Yeah, so Ryan Murphy, um, uh, as you mentioned, he has this big deal with Netflix now, and it's it's it looks like that deal is paying off. Netflix is going to get a really good return on their investment, it seems, because um, uh, along with several other projects that have already been announced, he's also going to turn uh, The Prom, which is a, a Broadway musical that's still running, uh, into a, a movie. And he's brought together a very impressive cast. It's uh, Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman, Ariana Grande. Aquafina, Keegan Michael Key, uh, and you know James Corden. Who who cares if he's in it or not? I wish he would go away. <laughs> but beyond that, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty stacked cast. And um, you know the, the the report indicates that Netflix is is pushing for this to get a fall 2020 release because they really want to you know push this for 
next year's award season. And that makes sense with a cast like this. And, you know, award season voters love musicals. They, you know, it's all every year there's a musical that gets nominated for an Oscar, even if it's not good. So even if this turns out to be bad, I have a feeling it'll get some sort of award season love, especially with Netflix throwing their weight behind it. It's interesting that Netflix is sort of turning to musicals because um, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda's movie might be his directorial debut. Anyway, he's going to be directing the film. I'm not sure if it's his first movie ever, but um, but he's supposed to be directing this movie. I think it, I'm trying to remember the name of it off the top of my head right now, and I can't. But uh, It's a Tick, Tick, Boom yes, is the yes, title. Of course. So that that is also a musical that is going to Netflix. So it seems like they're sort of le- like uh, leaning into that, um, which I, I wonder... I wonder if that's that's part of the game plan, because like you said, Chris, I mean, Netflix has been, um, I mean, pushing really, really hard in terms of Oscars and tr- to try to like legitimize themselves in the eyes of the Academy. There's there have been so many arguments about that over the past year or so. Uh, Roma won them a bunch of awards, but not Best Picture. And it, like you said, there's a lot of like oftentimes big budget Hollywood musicals with big stars will get. Uh, Oscar nominations almost as like a an obligation it feels like so for them to yeah I wouldn't be surprised if a company as data driven as Netflix actually you know plugged in those numbers and and realized that they they might have a better shot you know producing something along those lines than trying to get um, you know bleak dramas or or uh, whatever other kind of uh, Oscar baity type of material um, you know recognized in in that way but um, HT, I, I, I'm curious what you think about this project, Ryan Murphy, and, and this cast coming together. I love this cast. It's I'm, I'm kind of amazed that Ryan Murphy was able to score such a stacked cast for uh, this series? Movie. This movie. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited that Aquafina is in a lot of new things. Uh, I don't know what her singing abilities are, but I'm assuming that she will be... Oh, wait, actually, I do know her singing abilities because she was a YouTube rapper before she broke big in Crazy Rich Asians. So this will be, yeah, exciting. I have, I'm have i hit or miss with Ryan Murphy um, titles. I think that he can get a little bit up his own ass sometimes, but um, especially now with like a big Netflix deal, I kind of feel like he's given a blank check to do whatever he wants. But this cast is just so good yeah for sure so so from one netflix story to another jacob let's transition over to the office so yesterday afternoon uh word came out that the office is going to be leaving netflix uh at the end of 2020 and that nbc universal paid a significant sum of money in order to make that happen so what's the latest here uh yes what happened was nbc universal netflix amazon all the usual suspects all met with the owners of the office which is universal television and they all put in bids to try to secure it for, for when it let, was leaving netflix netflix apparently bid 90 million uh for over the course of five years or per year i mean whereas uh, uh nbc universal with their new streaming service launching at some point uh bid 100 million dollars per year for the next five years so that's 500 million dollars to secure the office uh for five years away from Netflix. And there was much moaning and gnashing of teeth on the internet because everybody acts like Netflix is a utility and not a service that we pay for. And there's already been petitions. There's already been like people like yelling at Netflix about how could you do this to us because they clearly use their parents' Netflix account and don't understand how businesses work. Uh, but <laughs> So this makes me... There's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on here about 
uh, entitlement and how we treat TV shows in the age of streaming, which is a subject that could be its own conversation uh, about how we don't value our shows. We expect them to be there for us forever. Uh, but also it's a question of like these people should go buy the DVDs if they want to have it forever. It's the only way to be safe. But it's also a reflection on the changing business, which is that, you know, Netflix used to have this monopoly and now it's up against, you know, Amazon Prime and Hulu and upcoming Disney Plus and NBC Universal and Warner's upcoming streaming service. It's just being splintered further and further. And I was seeing a lot of numbers thrown around today, Ben. So I'm saying that uh, the office was counting for 7% of the, of the people watched on Netflix. Some saying 4%. If either of those numbers is accurate, that is an obscene percentage for a single show to be dominating uh, what people are using Netflix for. So a lot of people, you know, see Netflix as the comfort box. It's where you go to watch Friends, which is also on its way out, most likely. It's where you go to watch The Office. It's, it, people are more interested in these shows than they are in, you know, the new Netflix original. So things are just getting splintered and splintered and splintered. And as physical media continues to die, uh, my piece of advice is go buy your DVDs before it's too late because the office will soon be behind another price wall and all your shows will be splintered. And people who have lived in this naive world where they think my show is going to be here on Netflix forever need to grow the F up and understand why they kill physical media for this incredibly broken service. Uh, ben, are you as angry as I am that we even have to have this conversation? Um, it, it does seem a little short-sighted. I can't believe people are, are this mad about it because, I mean, this is just, you know, it, it's all property. It's all part of, you know, the, these huge companies. And of course, every, I mean, this is, this has been, the writing has been on the wall for something like this for several years now. Like Disney, we, you know, we're Disney Plus is getting ready to launch in November, and only recently have we really learned, you know, concrete details about that service. But we've known that it is going to exist, or it was going to exist, for a couple years at this point, I think. And so, you know, once once that uh, domino fell, it was only a matter of time before all these other companies are, you know, were beginning to launch their own stuff. And that hasn't happened yet, but all these announcements have been made. And you can sort of just figure that, like, yes, one of these shows is not going to stay on your favorite platform forever. Um, or if it does, it's going to cost an enormous amount of money to do that. Um, Chris, I'm curious, you know, as somebody who spends a lot of time watching streaming stuff and, and you know, you have a streaming column and all of that. Do you, what do you make of um, this idea of, of uh, I guess, shows bouncing around to different platforms and different services and, and people's reaction to that? Um, you know, on one level, I, I get the frustration because uh, we were probably we were naively promised this this brave new world of cord cutting where we wouldn't have to pay for cable, for channels we don't want. And now we're, we're in this new era where we have to pay for multiple streaming services to watch a bunch of stuff instead of one cable package. And it's a little, uh, it, it's like the complete opposite of, a, of what I think people were expecting. At the same time, you know, physical media is still around. And, uh, you know, if you stop buying it, it won't be for long. I, I know studios want to kill physical physical media because they don't want to pay to produce it but if you're out there buying it they'll they'll keep making it and you can you can buy like the entire office series like the entire show for like i think it's like 25 bucks on amazon right now which is cheaper than paying you know whatever a month for netflix for a full year so just do that and you know the complaint i've seen is like 
oh, I don't want to get up and change the disc. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Like, I get... <laughs> Like, look, I'm lazy too. I get it. people want to be lazy, but good lord, if you if if you really can't be bothered to get up and put a new disc in, you have bigger problems than shows leaving streaming networks. So I don't know, like get off the couch for like ten seconds. It's it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, I understand the that streaming has uh, trained us to not want to get up, but like you can't have it both ways. Like if if you know you can't sit there and complain about it without. Uh, I don't know. It's just a ludicrous situation. So HT, uh, before we move on to our our next topic, I want to ask you: Is our sort of? I mean, I'm a millennial too, by the way. But as our <laughs> resident millennial, um, how? how much is too much, you know, when it comes to all these different streaming services? Like what are, I know that you're a cord cutter, but what are you, what are you going to do? Are you going to subscribe to the new NBC universal, uh, uh, streaming service and Warner media and Disney plot? Like what's your, what's your game plan here? Looking into the future of the streaming wars. I mean, first of all, I think we're all millennials here. Maybe Chris is a zennial or maybe, I no, I'm a, I'm a millennial. I'm not okay. that old. Good <laughs> Lord. Come on. How old do you think I am? 65. Um, <laughs> oh. That actually is very accurate. Um, I don't know because, you know, uh, us millennials, we're not that rich. And uh, I can only afford maybe one or two more streaming services than what I already have. Plus the HBO Go account that, like, I borrow from my parents so oh, i forgot um, about quibi as well so you got to throw that in there too no i'm not doing that um <laughs> i feel like at this point you have to cut your losses and figure out just what shows you really want to follow and what companies you want to be loyal to because it is becoming just a, a battleground now for like company loyalty which is a little bit sad and a little bit scary and um I also, it's it's funny to me that people are making such an uproar over The Office leaving Netflix when there are movies and shows leaving Netflix every month, and it's not an uncommon thing. So I don't know why. I mean, The Office is a staple for sure, but not sure why it's like it's it's the one creating all the outrage. But um, yeah, probably just will maybe subscribe to Disney Plus, NBC. I don't think it'll be worth it for me, and uh, I'm. I'm pretty sure that once all of these shows start to dissipate between all of like the different streaming services, there'll be a uptick in pirating for sure. Oh yeah, I haven't even thought about that, but I think you're probably right because yeah, people are. I mean, that entitlement that Jacob hinted at before, um, if that exists, you know, right now before the people have to actually open their wallets and pay for these streaming services because they technically don't exist yet. I think it's only going to get worse as the, as the years go on and, and more of these things actually open up. So um, that's a good point. Uh, all right, let's move into our last story of the day. And that is a missed movie and TV show are in the works based on the PC game. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this game, but I, I grew up playing the Myst games, and actually I, I spent a lot of time playing Riven, which was the sequel to Myst that came out in 1997, but the first game came out in 93. It was a point-and-click uh, adventure puzzle game where it basically just sort of dropped the player into this um, mysterious world, and you just 
with like very very little setup and you basically just like click around this relatively empty island trying to find clues about where you are and and what the hell is going on and there are all these like fascinating structures built on the island and puzzles uh, that you have to solve and there's a, a deep overarching mythos to this whole thing there have been like uh, novels written in the mist world um but yes now the, um, which is where i think we're 26 years after the first game came out uh, village roadshow entertainment group has bought the film and tv rights to mist and the company plans to quote mine the game's deep mythology of the mist franchise to develop a multi-platform universe across film and television both scripted and unscripted. So that's an interesting thing. I want to come back to that in, uh, in just a second. But Jacob, I know you you played these games uh, a long time ago as well. What do you think about the idea of a, a Mist movie and TV show? It's been so long. I mean, at this point, Mist is. I mean, if, if there was like a academy that like inducted ten great games a year, you know, uh, for their cultural importance, Mist would have to be in there. I just don't think there's ever been the right time for a Mist game. If you want to talk about unadaptable things i mean mist was very much about the experience of you being alone on an island solving cool puzzles you know isolated in your office on a desk chair you know in, in, in your in your family pc i just don't see what the movie is here i don't see the story like do you make it about a group of characters trying to solve puzzles together do you add a bad guy do you add chases because you didn't you lose it missed it Mist was always the game that your mom and dad played while you played the shoot him up um, after you went to bed mom and dad would fire up mist uh, and play the puzzles and relax with it that's how that's how that's my memories of mist more so than playing it so i do not know what a mist movie is i do not know how you capture that vibe in a movie i do think you mentioning a reality show is actually a could be a better encapsulation of what mist is if you put a group of people you know on an island full of you know puzzles to solve and ways to you know get around and try to watch people work together but i don't there are so many video games that have straight up narratives that even though miss is a famous name i don't think people care and i don't think there's a movie there yeah it has been a long time and i i wonder outside of like the gaming community and just the nostalgic aspect of people who grew up playing the game which was very popular in its day but you know mist has not had a significant cultural footprint in a long time, like probably two decades. So, um, I, yeah, I, I'm I'm curious about you know why they think that right now is the time to do this. Although I should probably mention that they have been trying to get a missed uh, movie and or TV show made for the past ten years or so. Um, we actually wrote about a movie version that was supposed to happen around 2010 that sort of fell apart. The missed TV show was supposed to go to Hulu a few years ago, and that never came to pass either. So it sounds like they've been trying. Um, but yeah, the the idea of a, an unscripted uh, element to this whole thing, to to um, capitalizing on the missed mythos, is something that I don't think I've seen in another major property. Like I, you know, we talk all the time about movies and TV shows being adapted for different uh, media and stuff like that. But I don't, I can't remember a time where there's been a recognizable name brand uh, that was, um, you know, that originated in like a fictional world that is introducing a real world component in an unscripted form. So they may be breaking new ground here, but if anybody can correct me on that, if any listeners know of anything like that, I'm, I'm really genuinely interested to know what that would be. So please email us at peter at slashfilm.com if you know the answer to that. But You know, Ben, there's a really terrible reality show from the late 90s or early 2000s that was on Fox uh, called Murder in Small Town X. And it was a very bad show. It was all 
clearly staged and clearly faked and clearly scripted for an unscripted show. But the basic premise was a group of people from various backgrounds are all put into a town where a murder has been committed and must solve the murder. And the whole thing was, like I said, totally scripted and faked. But the idea of a group of people being put into an environment full of puzzles and other actors and storylines you have to uncover, I think there's something really interesting to be mined there uh, using that template but done well. Yeah, and I know we were talking about this in our Slack channel earlier, and Peter was saying that, you know, if there was like a Survivor-style reality competition show set in like a Mist-themed or Mist-inspired world, he would be all about that. And and I have to imagine that, you know, people who love reality TV would be interested, even if they don't immediately pick up on the name brand recognition element of the game. So maybe they're onto something there, too. Um, and then also, just really quickly before we wrap up, I, I feel like I would be remiss without uh, bringing up the Lost comparison. So Lost, obviously, is a show that was set on an island that you know has all sorts of uh, mystery components and a, a deep mythology all its own. Um, and that reminds me a lot of Mist. And I, I wonder, I should have looked this up to see if uh, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse, the showrunners of Lost, ever name-checked Mist as like a, an inspiration for any of the stuff that they did. Um, because even like some of the structures on the island, you know, the hatch and, and some of these things are, are very, um, they seem similar and reminiscent of like the production design elements that, that appear in the Mist games. So um, yeah, I, I wonder if there's, if a Mist movie and show can work in a post-Lost world, but um, I don't know, HG, I know you're a big Lost fan. Does any of this, you know, even as somebody who hasn't played the game, does any of this intrigue you just uh, on that level? It does, actually. I've never heard of this game before, um, but you piqued my interest as soon as you said Lost, so I don't know if it would work in a, a post-Lost world, because in the aftermath of Lost, there were just so many knockoffs that tried and failed to do what Lost did. Um, so it would have to, it would require someone um, of the same ca caliber of Damon Lindelof and Carlton Hughes to actually tackle something like that. Yeah, and then there's also the added wrinkle of like maybe Lost getting its own reboot. Like there have been some rumblings about that over the past year or so too. So <laughs> I don't know how, how such a thing would, uh, would be able to compete with like the actual name brand recognition of Lost, which is a property obviously over the past few years that's had a, a huge cultural footprint. So um, best of luck to the people making Mist, And uh, I'm very curious to see how that all, how that all turns out and like what sort of approach they take there. Uh, but we'll keep you guys posted when we learn more. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, uh, oh, yeah, I guess iTunes is going away. I'm going to have to change the show notes on that. Uh, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. You can actually watch uh, the YouTube videos. I think we published every episode of the show on YouTube, so you can check it out there if you want. Uh, send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. If again, if you if you know of any other like major properties that have had like reality-level unscripted uh, components to them. I, I really want to know what those are. Um, make sure, if you do write in, to leave your name and general geographic location in case we've mentioned your email on the air. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes if you can. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will talk to you tomorrow.